Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Let's Just Kiss and Say Goodbye edition as we look back at the ten and a half years that Carlos Dunlap spent with the Bengals following Wednesday's trade of the two-time Pro Bowler to the Seattle Seahawks. Coming up, Jesse Bates and Zach Taylor discuss the Dunlap deal, and then we'll turn the clock back and hear from Carlos on one of his most memorable moments in a Bengals uniform. This week's one-on-one player interview is with Billy Price as the Bengals look at the possibility of going into Sunday's game without three of their starting offensive linemen. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll be joined by the voice of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Keefe. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since taking the high road. After granting Carlos Dunlap's wish and trading him to Seattle, the Bengals posted a picture of him high-fiving fans on social media and thanked him for a memorable decade in the jungle. And the team press release announcing the trade included the following quote from team president Mike Brown. Carlos had many fine seasons here and showed rare physical talent that took him to multiple Pro Bowls. I will always remember the role he played as a key part of exceptional defenses that we rode to the playoffs year after year. There are a lot of fond memories I have of Carlos, and I wish him well. I'm not surprised that Mike Brown showed class in paying tribute to former employee 96, and although the last few weeks got pretty ugly, it does not obscure the fact that Carlos Dunlap will go down as one of the best pass rushers in team history. Empty backfield, shotgun snap, the pass, deflected, and intercepted by Carlos Dunlap, and he runs it in for a Cincinnati touchdown. He batted the ball up in the air, snatched it out of the air, and then ran it into the house to tie the game. That was one of three touchdowns that Carlos Dunlap has scored in the NFL. There have been 82 and a half sacks, one off Eddie Edwards' franchise record. There have been 40 pass deflections. And there were the back-to-back Pro Bowl appearances in 2015 and 16. Those stats are now final in a Bengals uniform. Here's Zach Taylor. So we made a trade today. It was just official. And we'll get B.J. Finney from the Seahawks, who uh, we welcome. It'll, it'll help us in the offensive line room. He's a veteran offensive lineman. And, and uh, Carlos will go to Seattle. And uh, we just want to thank Carlos. Carlos had a tremendous career here. Um, made a great impact on this organization and in the community here, did a lot of really positive things and um, was always out and about in the community. So um, it'll be a good fit for him. He'll have a great opportunity and, and we just wish him the best. Coach, did the Carlos Dunlap situation just really reach a point where it was best for both sides to move in a different direction? I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Zach didn't mention it, but the Bengals also got a seventh round draft pick in the deal. As for BJ Finney, he's 29 years old and was the Seahawks' backup center. He spent the last four years in Pittsburgh, where he started 13 games when eight-time Pro Bowler Marquise Pouncey was injured. Dunlap joins a Seattle team that shares the best record in the NFC with Green Bay at 5-1 and and can definitely use a pass rusher. The Seahawks have nine sacks as a team. That's as many as Miles Garrett has by himself, 
and there are only five teams in the NFL with fewer. Here's Jesse Bates on Carlos heading west. I think Carlos is a good person, um, and I'm just happy that he's in another situation where maybe he, he's going to have some success. So, um, you know, that's all I can say. You know, team building, Jesse, has been an emphasis of Coach Taylor ever since he got here. Do, do you feel at all that, that Carlos uh, interfered with that? I don't think so. Like I said, I think Carlos is a good person. Um, he means well. He does a lot of stuff in the community and stuff like that. So um, that's that's not for me to answer. Uh, I just like I said, I think Carlos is a good person uh, and he means well. I, I have nothing but good things to say about Carlos. Um, I know things didn't work out here uh, for him at the end, but I'm sure he'll have a lot of success. So um, may God be with him. A lot of his displeasure was voiced uh, in social media. Did he voice any of that among you guys or in the locker room? And had he become any kind of a distraction in that way? Uh, I wouldn't say distraction. Um, I think when you have these type of things come in the locker room, uh, people kind of avoid it, honestly. Uh, we just don't talk about it. Uh, we got one goal, and that's to win uh, every week. So, um, you know, whether that was Carlos on the field with us or not, um, I think our goal was to win the game, and it wasn't any distraction. So, Sometimes it's best for all parties involved just to move on. Had it gotten to that point where it's just best to move on and uh, and restart for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, people get traded. Um, people get released every year. Um, and unfortunately, it happened in the middle of the year for Carlos. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's just a weird situation. Uh, I don't know much about it, so I can't really speak on it as much. Um, but, yeah, Carlos is a great guy to me, so um, I respect him a lot. Last November, Carlos Dunlap joined Dave Lapham and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show for one hour at the Montgomery Inn Boathouse. And he was great with the fans who came out as he signed autographs and posed for pictures during the commercial breaks. We started the show that night by discussing something that had happened about one week earlier. I want to start by talking about my favorite moment of the season to date. And that was salute to service day at yeah. Paul Brown Stadium. Yeah. We've always seen the Bengals come out of the tunnel along with a service member. And that was the case this year. But lo and behold... When you came out of the tunnel, the service member was Carlos Dunlap Sr. I was just about moved to tears. Yeah, really. That was awesome. That was amazing. I had no clue until I went into the tunnel that it was gonna, I was going to be paired up with my father. Um, you know, I walked out there. I greeted all the, the vets that were all in uniform. And here my dad is with my jersey on, and, and he had camo <laughs> gear on. And I'm, I'm like, wait. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> And he still didn't say nothing then, so I went down the line, shook the rest of the vet's hands, and then um, the announcer was like, okay, you're with him, you're with him, you're with him. I'm like, how did y'all pull this off? <laughs> how, how, long, how early in advance did he know? I, he still hasn't revealed he hasn't that clean. information. Uh-huh. Uh, some of the Bengals uh, staff did tell me that uh, he actually reached out to them about the opportunity, so that wow. was pretty cool. That's great. And they, they thought that he was uh, – they thought that they wasn't sure if it was a real email or not, so they <laughs> so they called Rusty Guy to do his background check. <laughs> Rusty is the Bengals' head of security, so yeah. that's funny. Yeah, and then the rest is history. So yeah. two branches of service, right? Yes. I mean, two branches of service. That's, that's highly unusual. Yeah. Give us a story on that. Why two branches of service? Well, actually, uh, fortunate enough for me and my family, he got out right when uh, pretty much my brother was born, and I was born two and a half years after that. So we weren't, uh, what, uh, 
I don't know. It's usually the term's usually army brats where you yeah. move. Yeah, yeah. military brats. Yeah. Yeah. Military brats. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so we weren't. We didn't have to go through and experience that. But um, I'm very familiar with his naval history because you know how neat they are. Uh, my mom, she also served in the Air Force. I got to put that out there because right. she cause, can run out next year. Yeah, right. Because yeah, my my dad's getting all this love. Yeah. And my mom's, you know, she's posting. I right, think but, we need to just go yeah. ahead and make that a plan for next year. You'll run out with mom. Yeah. I love that opportunity, too. Unfortunately, that moment won't happen, at least in Cincinnati. Later on that show, we discussed his charitable efforts in the Cincinnati community, which, much like the Anthony Munoz Foundation, have had a huge impact. Well, first of all, I'd like to say I admire what, what Anthony yep. does in the uh, community. Him and Marvin Lewis, um, their foundations uh, have such a huge impact in the city of Cincinnati, and no the doubt. things that they're doing have long-term impacts. Um, those, are, those are people that I look up to when I, when I try to develop my foundation and bring it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you guys know, you know, breast cancer awareness, um, putting a stop to bullying, uh, the importance of education in inner city athletes and, you know, pretty much whatever my heart feels. Yeah. Uh, you know, during the season you have different months where they allow you to bring awareness to different platforms. Right. And uh, I really just like being the vehicle for, you know, bringing awareness to whatever, you know, touches my heart and my family. That's great. It's awesome. You've been so generous with your time and your talent and your money and it helps so many people. It's truly appreciated. It really is. Yeah. Carlos played in 160 games in a Bengals uniform, including five straight playoff appearances, and formed a tremendous one-two punch on the defensive line with his fellow member of the 2010 draft class, Geno Atkins. He was well compensated for that as Carlos has earned more than $70 million in his NFL career. He was always very accommodating with the media, and I wish him nothing but the best in Seattle. Now time to change subjects. The Bengals took the practice field on Wednesday without three of their starting offensive linemen. Right tackle Bobby Hart has already been ruled out for Sunday's game with a knee injury, and left tackle Jonah Williams and center Trey Hopkins are considered day-to-day. Jonah has a stinger in his neck or a pinched nerve, and Hopkins suffered a concussion. Fred Johnson will take over at right tackle. If Jonah is out, rookie Akeem Adeniji replaces him, and if Hopkins can't play, Billy Price starts at center. I spoke to the former first-round draft pick out of Ohio State on Wednesday. Billy, you took over at center last week with 339 left in the first half after Trey Hopkins left with a concussion. You were in for four drives, not including the one-play Hail Mary at the end of the game. All four drives were at least 10 plays. All four drives were at least 76 yards. Those drives ended in touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. How gratifying was that? I mean, it's extremely gratifying, but again, you got to give credit to, again, the, the whole entire offense executing at a high level. That's what it really comes down to. Again, you extend those type, types of drives, take, you know, the time off the clock. And, um, and especially in games like that, you know, time is precious for us. You have to be ready at a moment's notice at three positions, center, left guard, right guard. The assignment's different on every play. You're working with a different teammate, depending on where you line up. How hard is that, and how do you keep it all straight? Um, <laughs> the level of difficulty is um, very, very high. I can tell you that. The techniques are very different. Um, extremely, extremely 
extremely limited reps throughout the week at all three positions. But again, it's it's a mental game. And again, if you understand how to get the job done itself and what the goal of the play is, it makes things a little bit easier. Uh, again, I've gotten all three positions now a good amount of time in my past three years here um, in Cincinnati. So just become second nature. Just again, when your number's called, you got to be ready to go. We're chatting with Billy Price. How does your comfort level at center compare to your comfort level at either guard spot? Um, I could say I'm a little bit more comfortable at guard lately, uh, but now again, you know, I haven't played center and in, in an extended amount of time since my rookie year. So for me, going back in there is just kind of really dusting the cobwebs off um, after not playing center last year. So um, feeling better about it this year. And again, whatever whatever the team needs me to do, I'm ready to go. Billy, we could see you at times during last week's game doing practice snaps with Joe Burrow between series on the sideline, not shotgun snaps, but direct snaps. Do you have to change anything based on the quarterback or is it a matter of him just getting comfortable with you? I think it's both. Again, it's a two-way street. Again, making sure that I hit the point every single time at the same location where his hands are. Um, again, it's something we've gotten figured out and uh, we're getting more comfortable with one another and it's we're good to go. We're visiting with Billy Price. One thing I've always respected about you is that football is important. You want to be great. And this past offseason, after the season ended in late December, in January, you went to Dallas to work with a well-known offensive line guru, Duke Mannyweather. Why did you do it, and what did you gain from that? Um, for me, again, it's just the, the year I had last year, kind of up and down, and the uncertainty of, again, I wasn't prepared to play all three positions. I was preparing for one in the, in the previous offseason. Um, it was really, really good for me, again, just building confidence and, again, assessing what you're really good at and, you know, the type of man Duke is and the type of people that you're around. I'm with some of the elite tackles and interior players across NFL offensive lines. So, again, you're training with great company, um, again, sharpening your mind and, again, being able to pick the brains of others. Um, we had O-line masterminds down there in July, and I got to talk with Ryan Jensen, and Ryan Jensen is one of the you know most respected centers out there right now. And again, being able to pick his mind about things that he does, things he looks for in film study, just really helps to develop the game, you know, and for what I'm doing this year, again, being ready for all three positions, understanding things as a center and as a guard. Um, again, I've developed a really, really strong relationship with Duke. Um, you know, I talk to him weekly, send him clips just to make sure things are ready. And again, if I need to sharpen something at left guard that I'm better at right guard, you know, getting another set of eyes is really beneficial for me. We're spending a few minutes with Billy Price. I watched an interview you did in June, and you said that being a first round pick is not something that you take lightly. Has it been difficult dealing with the expectations that go with that, considering that you really have not been fully healthy in your first two NFL seasons? Yeah, I wouldn't say the expectations and you're dealing with the expectations. It's they're they're never to what my own expectations are. Again, I was a very um, well-respected player in college, did a lot of very good things, helped teams win championships. And again, that was the expectation. And I, that's my level of play. That's the standard of what you, you should be doing. Um, again, it's, you know, the health is <laughs> I've learned health is wealth in this league. Um, and again, it starts from the ground up. I've had two foot injuries and a situation I couldn't control my rookie one and, you know, getting in better routines this past off season to make sure that I am fully healthy for a full 16, 16 week, 16 game schedule this year. 
Um, again, it, it, you've got to do things after, you know, you leave the facility and making sure that the routines and again, my wife knows the routine again, it's eight o'clock you Norma tech, getting the feet, right. You know, doing extra stretching, playing with the dogs, just simple things like that to make sure that you're healthy for this upcoming week. So, and it doesn't start on, you know, it starts Monday. It doesn't start, you know, two days before the game. It starts on Monday. <laughs> again, if you're behind the eight ball, when you get to Sunday, it's going to be bad news. Billy, you mentioned your great college career. When you were a third-year sophomore at Ohio State and your second year as a starter, a young high school quarterback from Athens, Ohio shows up. Do you remember your early impressions of Joe Burrow and what do you think of him six years later? You know, the first early impressions, again, it, it was a situation, again, we always talk about spring ball um, and, you know, the, the, the stories of, you know, Joe Burrow is live during spring ball and there was no there was no lie about that. Um, the hits I watched him take against guys that are, you know, the Bosa brother, uh, or excuse me, Joey, Taekwon Lewis, some of the guys, are my our heavy hitters that we had on defense, um, just letting it go on him. Um, and again, to see his resiliency and again, knowing, you know, the kid himself and then seeing the man that walked through the locker room uh, when he first got here is a tremendous, you know, transformation. And when he went down to LSU and he told the team, you know, hey, I'm going to transfer it again, it was like, oh, you're going down south with them boys. Um, and then to come out the leader and the, and the, you know, the true Renaissance man that he is and how he leads the offense here in Cincinnati. Again, I'm just glad he's on our side. Billy, you've got the Titans this week as you've started to look at that defensive line for Tennessee. I don't know that a lot of people know Jeffrey Simmons, number 98, but he's one of the highest graded interior linemen in the NFL. People do know Jadevian Clowney, obviously, mm -hmm. former number one overall pick in the draft. What stands out when you study that group? Um, obviously, you see Jadavion, they, they picked him up in the offseason um, again. And I know uh, Coach Rabel very well, my time at Ohio State. So I know I know what he is very aggressive, very technically sound. And I know that that defense is definitely going to bring it. Um, watching their game against Pittsburgh last week. Again, you got a great offense over there in Pittsburgh and seeing how um, they try to manipulate that defensive front to really control the game. And I think that that's important for us as we go to continue to game plan this week. Um, Simmons, very young kid, uh, very good with his hands, you know, very physical guy, uh, Jadavion, as he is. He is everything that everybody says he is, you know, great with his hands, explosive, athletic. Um, and again, it, their, their entire cast is very well-rounded. And so I think that that's going to present a good challenge for us. And I know we're looking forward to Sunday. You were ready at a moment's notice last week and did a fantastic job. Congratulations on that. Best of luck Sunday against the Titans. Thank you. Looking forward to it. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment. The Tennessee Titans are 5-1 under third-year head coach Mike Vrabel, who took them to the AFC Championship game last year. Vrabel also happens to be best friends with UC head football coach Luke Fickle. They were teammates for three years at Ohio State. The voice of the Titans, Mike Keith, joined Lapp and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show this week, and I started our conversation by asking him what makes Vrabel such a successful head coach. It's very smart to start with, very, very bright. And very. the first time I sat down with him, I knew he was going to make it because he had the whole head coach thing right away. He's not... I'm the head offense coach or I'm the head defense coach or I'm the head football coach. He's the head coach. He's involved in every aspect of the planning of arranging the staff. He knows everything that's going on. He takes a personal touch with players and coaches 
and people in the building, when there were people in the building, actually, um, <laughs> he just has that feeling. And you guys have seen it over the years in whatever sport it is. Some people have the CEO thing and some people don't. You know, some people are really good football coaches, but they can't be a head coach. And Vrabel has that about him. He's grown over two plus years. Uh, he doesn't say a lot to the media. He, quite frankly, doesn't say a whole lot behind closed doors. Uh, doing his radio and TV show, uh, what he gets the most pleasure in is harassing his host. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Philichek does that to the guys he works with, but Vrabel can be a tremendous amount of fun. He has a wicked sense of humor. He is very sarcastic. Uh, sometimes he he thinks he'll even stop and say, you know I'm kidding, which we do. But I tell you the other thing about him, too, is he never takes a shot at somebody who's down or who can't come back. Or mm. It's always playful and fun. It's never bullying. And he is particularly kind to people that he, as the head coach, doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be kind to. And so I think that speaks a lot to his character and who he is. And I think his players know that about him, too, that even when he is yelling and screaming, it's not a personal thing. Hmm. That's very interesting. Good, uh, good insight there. I know he's not a defensive coordinator, but he was a defensive <laughs> player. So he's got pride in his defense. 32nd in the NFL on third down. 31st yeah. in the NFL in red zone touchdown percentage allowed at 81%, allowing 61% on third down. I mean, those numbers are just, they're not, you know, the, the running game, they're allowing almost 129 yards a game on the ground, 4.9 per carry. That's not something that Mike Vrabel, I'm sure, is uh, pleased about. <laughs> no, no, he's not. And, uh, you know, the thing that we knew entering this year, Dave, is we understood that the offense was going to have to carry the defense for a while. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason was that the, the offense is very veteran bunch of guys who've been together, uh, veteran quarterback, veteran running back. I mean, the whole thing. They, We said, you know, they could have lined up for the first day on July 30th and been ready to play a game the following Sunday. Hmm. They, they, were just, they were just ready to go. And they returned uh, 10 of 11 starters and the entire coaching staff. The defense was different. They traded Jarrell Casey. Wesley Woodyard departed, and I think he's probably retired. Logan Ryan is no longer with the team. So three veteran presence, uh, players of veteran presence. And then Dean Pease retires as defensive coordinator. Right. Uh, they, br they bring in Jim Hazlitt as part of the, the coaching staff. They have Shane Bowen, the outside linebacker coach, who I think is calling the plays, a new secondary coach as well. Uh, they had to kind of rotate their entire group in the secondary. They've been without a Dory Jackson. They, hey, they needed OTAs in minicamp. Right. They needed preseason games. And so this has shown up. Now, it's worse than we thought. Last year, they got off the field allowing 36% third down conversions. 61% right now, mm, Right, which is astronomical. And, yeah, Vrabel's pulling his hair out over it. He knows it's got to get better. It showed up last week in the Pittsburgh game. It's probably the number one stat that beat him in that game. And the Titans know if they're going to have a chance to be special, that has to improve in a big, big hurry. 
We are chatting with the voice of the Titans, Mike Keith. Let's talk Derrick Henry, the only running back in the NFL averaging more than 100 yards a game. We see the highlights, the 94-yard touchdown run, the stiff arm that, you know, <laughs> Josh Norman will never be able to oh, uh, to forget. Uh, he'll be reminded of it on Twitter for the rest of his life, or at least as long as Twitter exists. Aside from that, is he the heart and soul of the team with the way that he plays and the way that he runs? Yes. Yeah, he's the he's the face of Nashville sports now. Hmm. He's he's but he, Tannehill is it's kind of Tannehill's team, right? And that's and that's been a cool thing to see the quarterback. It's become his team. But if you if you had to put a player on a poster to represent who we are right now, it's Derrick Henry, because this this is a guy at at this point two years ago, almost two years ago to the day, they. They didn't think Derrick Henry could help us. Deion Lewis had taken over for Derrick Henry as the number one running back because Derrick Henry was in this incredible slump. It seemed like he was running to darkness. He couldn't quite figure out the new offensive run game. They they did all sorts of things trying to figure out how to get him going. And to Henry's credit, he started working with the scout team. He stayed after practice. He kept he kept working on his moves. And they had put David Flewellen in a game in November against the New England Patriots over Derrick Henry because they they were just trying to get something going. This is two years ago. Two years ago, guys. David Flewellen? Wow. David David in the game, and David unfortunately had a nice run and then hurt his knee and was gone for the year. So Derrick got a chance to go back in, and then something clicked. And he gained confidence. And he started hitting it the way they wanted him to hit it. And they figured out what worked for him. And then Arthur Smith took over last year as the offensive coordinator and gave him even more. And so the the rise of Derrick Henry is about a toughness that really, you know, those guys in the locker room know this story. He, he's not the guy on the old spice commercial. Who's just been a star his whole life. He's a guy who's had to work for this, and he works for it every single day. He, nobody gives more in the same way Eddie George did for us 20 years ago. This is a more talented version of Eddie George, and if you can believe this, a little bit bigger yeah. Eddie George yeah. as well. Yeah, That's, it, it's, it's amazing. Run you over and run away from you. I mean, Norman, if, if, that, if he did that to Norman out in the street, he'd be serving a jail sentence right now. I mean <laughs> – and, and I mean, and, and Flewellen, football, right? Yeah, Flewellen. I mean, that's a sick lady, Flewellen. That's a sick woman, and and he's playing over over Henry. That that's just that's unbelievable. That story, but you know, Joe Burrow's like that. Joe Burrow, it yeah. didn't didn't go well for him at Ohio State. He got the crap knocked out of him, you know, playing for the the look team against the number one defense, and and just you know kept getting up and and gaining respect. He transfers to LSU, and the rest is history. I mean, it's funny how guys have to work their way through things and earn things and appreciate it a heck of a lot more. It's very interesting. Quick on on Tannehill. Uh, was fortunate enough to do Big 12 games when he was at Texas A&M, and he caught over 140 balls as a wide receiver without going to any wide receiver meetings. You know, he was the backup quarterback, but they said, we got to get this athlete on the field, and he, mm-hmm. is, he is an athlete. What, what, is, what else is it about him? What, what makes him the quarterback that he is? Because he's had his hard knocks as well. Oh, big time. And, and that's a part of the respect that he has 
Three things, I think. Number one, it's the toughness because he's from Big Spring, Texas. You know, he played uh, in in what was more or less a veer offense in high school. You mentioned his career as a wide receiver, and then he becomes the quarterback at A&M. He takes all the hits and goes through the ups and downs in Miami. Never complains. And if you talk to anybody in Miami, anybody with that organization, and a couple of them actually work for us now, it's amazing the comments and how happy they are for him. He's that type of person. Mm-hmm. The, the athleticism is an underrated element. It's one of the reasons they chose to re-sign him in the offseason is he can take off occasionally, kind of like Joe Burrow, and can make a little something happen with his legs, can extend a play. Not necessarily a runner, but he can run. I mean, the guy's got a 48-yard rush in his career in the NFL. The, the other thing, too, is this Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator. The two of them are completely on the same page. And he is out there executing Arthur's offense. And what's interesting, guys, is Arthur gives him a lot. You will see Tannehill will call a lot at the line on his own, particularly when the Titans go into the we used to call it the hurry up. I think the kids today call it the tempo. Uh, when right. they go tempo, then then that's Tannehill calling a lot of things on his own, sort of a la Peyton Manning from the Indianapolis days. When he wasn't necessarily going to snap the ball with 20 on the play clock, he was going to take it down to 10 and get in the right play. He, he wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon when he went to college. Obviously, football kind of changed all that for him. But those smarts, and football smarts as well, it, it all goes together. And I, th- I think everybody's just pleased for a guy who, if, if that's the theme of this conversation, overcoming the adversity, I mean, he has certainly done it. And, and right now, I mean, statistically, he's elite. And, and it's not a fluke. I mean, it, it is, he's not throwing three-yard passes and guys are running 80 yards. He's making plays. Mm-hmm. Couple more questions for the voice of the Titans, Mike Keith. I'm so glad you brought up Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator, because it's a fascinating story to me. He's the son of the CEO of FedEx, Fred it? Smith. Amazing. I'm sure he could have gone yeah. into the family business and been a billionaire or multimillionaire. Instead, he pursues a career as a football coach. Peter King seemingly has become the president of his fan club. Is he on the fast track to be an NFL head coach? So funny because he came to us as a defensive quality control coach. He's been here wow. 10 years. Wow. And, and it, was, it was funny. So he was on Mike Munchak's staff. Ken Wisenhunt kept him and promoted him. Mike Malarkey kept him and promoted him. And then he comes here and, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur ends up the offensive coordinator and wants – he's like, oh, gosh, we got to keep Arthur Smith. And so they, another head coach keeps Arthur Smith. And Matt, I think, would have taken him to Green Bay. I don't know that, but I feel like that would have happened. But when he got this chance, there were many, many, many people here who were like, oh, this is a, what are we doing? We're hiring the tight end coach. But those of us that knew him understood he's a pretty special guy. And it was only then that people realized that he was the son of the founder of FedEx. Hmm. Nobody here outside of our building knew that because he was so unassuming and he had been an eight year unassuming member of the staff. You know, it it has been said accurately that he is the richest coach in the NFL. I think that's probably true. (laughs) Right. Uh, But, 
But Arthur's, and, and I know another family member of, of this family, the Smith family, and I, I tell you, they are hardworking, unassuming people. He's one of the best guys that you ever met. Uh, my son goes to University of North Carolina. That's where he played. Arthur will talk to me all the time about, hey, how's Matthew doing in Chapel Hill? And, you know, he's, he's that kind of guy. He relates to the players. He's not a big personality. Yeah, he's going to be a head coach. I, I'm hoping we can hold on to him for another year or two. But if Peter King keeps up that thing with the megaphone, we're probably not going to be able to do that. <laughs> I got uh, one last thing for you, but it's a kind of a two-part thing. And I uh, appreciate you carving the time that you have for us. You've been great. Every single quarter, including overtime, the Tennessee Titans have won by single digits, outscored opponent by six in the first quarter, five in the second, nine in the third, nine in the fourth, six in overtime. Consistently, you know, just plugging along, very steady Eddie kind of thing, kind of like the head coach Vrabel. And, mm-hmm. and then I look at Goskowski, five for 11 field goals less than 50 yards, five for five field goals 50 yards or more in all these close games. That, what, that's, it doesn't compute. I mean, what's going on with Goskowski? And what about this team just every quarter <laughs> treating it the same? Usually you see a team has a big second quarter or a terrible third or whatever. Yeah. These guys right. are just like, mm, flatline, man, of excellence. Well, it's, it's really kind of funny because in that way, they're sort of like the Jeff Fisher teams. They're not particularly sexy at any one thing, but they do lots of things well, and they just keep playing. That, that's what happened. They, you know, they done 27 to 7 to the Steelers yeah. with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter. It looks like they're going to get blown out, and they're kicking for a tie at the end. Yeah, You're like, how in the world did this happen? But that it's Vrabel. You know, Vrabel constantly makes adjustments. He has a staff that makes adjustments. Uh, they you know, they're very consistent there. And, and the organization is like that with the general manager, John Robinson. It's, it's a very, you know, we've gone nine and seven, four straight years. One of only four teams with winning records in four straight seasons. And you guys know, I mean, nine and seven is not world bending, but to have a winning season, four straight years yep. kind of just tells you you're doing more right than wrong. The Goskowski thing is really difficult on the second topic because last year we were eight of eighteen on field goals. Jeez. I mean, that that's not good for a high school. No, let alone a prof- eight of eight. It was the worst kicking year an NFL team had had in thirty six years, and in some ways it was the worst kicking year that a team had had in the modern era. It was crazy, and yet this team went to the AFC Championship game. <laughs> the the big thing that they do is they score a lot of touchdowns. Yep. You know, since, since Tannehill took over as the starter, uh, the Tennessee Titans have been in a position where they've gotten in the red zone 56 times and scored, I believe it's 47 touchdowns. Wow. That's been the key. Goskowski, I, I don't know. He's missed one right in each of the last two weeks. Uh, that scares you when a guy starts pushing it at the end of their career. Um it, you know, but he's 10 of 16. It, it looks like they're going to hold on to him. They have a young man, uh, Tucker McCann, out of Missouri, who's on the practice squad that they kept because this guy's got a leg like you wouldn't believe. Don't know if he's ready for prime time yet, but we'll see. I, I mean, it, it bit him in the butt on, on Sunday because that's a kick. You know, good snap, good hold. 
no no rush. He just missed it, and you, you know you got to make them. I mean, if you're going to be an elite level team and playing those kind of games, particularly with how the AFC has unfolded right now, I mean, you're going to need every point. You got to make them all. One, one quick thing. When 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 the Pittsburgh Steelers had 161 yards offense and 14 points, and the Titans had one yard and no points, what were you thinking? I'm going home. I'm taking the rest of the day off. I'm uh, I'm thinking uh, dinner, you know, maybe a beer. Uh, it, I, I, you know, you're just like this is crazy. I mean, they they've had the ball 16-23 to our 121. Unreal. Yeah, it was unreal. It was the the whole thing was in their seven of seven on third down conversions. Um, I, I think honestly, what I knew is it's like, well, okay, it can't get any worse than this. Right. Not with not with this team. This team will kind of get it back together and figure out some things. The Steelers came out with a good plan. I, I'll end it with this one thing though. In this whole crazy deal that the Titans have been through with COVID and not playing for sixteen days. There was some fear about how they would pop out of the gate last Sunday based on the fact that last week was their first week of full speed practice in four weeks. Sure. And frankly, frankly, Dave, you'll understand this. They got to the end of the week. They played two games in five days, and then they have a hard Wednesday practice, a hard Thursday practice. They show up on Friday. They're sore. Yep. Yep. No because doubt. Because they're not in the groove. And, you know, you get in a groove as the season – and and so he had to back them down even in the Friday practice a little bit. That was the first thing that they had really noticed about being off kilter. It, they won the two games in five days and then, you know, sort of were trying to get their bodies back. They're hoping this week they're much more normal and now into some sort of rhythm than they have been. It is it has clearly been an adventure. Particularly if you're pushing 30. If you're 28 years old or more, you're real sore. You're 22, 23, well, no problem. But you're, you've been in the league seven or eight years, you're sore than sore, man. <laughs> and this is not a young team. Right. Yeah, that's the, right. that's the other thing. They're not – I mean, we're not talking about, you know, George Allen's over the Hill Gang or anything, but this is not – right a young football team in terms of a first or, you know, bunch of first or second year guys. For a final look ahead to Sunday's game, join Lap and me for the Bengals pep rally show Friday from three to six on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals booth podcast brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.